over 35 years of preaching and teaching, I've preached on marriage and husbands and wives multiple times. And over the course of those years, there have been at least several times that as I've gotten to the point where I've talked about submission and what the Bible says about that, I've had women stand up and walk out. Now, now I don't know the backstory of those women or a number of other women who may have felt like getting up and walking out. But what I do know is this, over the years and throughout human history, a lot of women have been abused and misused by men. I know that. I know that a lot of women have been treated unfairly in the home and in the workplace by men. And I know that, that a lot of women have been objectified and used as sex objects by men. And what's not surprising is this. Many of the men who have done this have used the Bible to justify and rationalize their behavior and their treatment of women to the point that there are some and perhaps many who believe that the Bible gives us a misogynistic view of God. Now some of you are probably saying, oh wait, stop for just a minute. What in the world does that word misogynistic mean? Well, this is what it means. Misogyny is the hatred, the dislike, the mistrust, or the mistreatment of women. And there are some that accuse God of being a misogynist. Charles Templeton said this. He said, the Bible is a book by men and for men. The women in it are secondary creatures and usually inferior. Richard Dawkins said that the God of the Old Testament is a misogynistic God. So is he. Is God a misogynist? Does the Bible teach that, that women are inferior to men? Does the Bible teach that women are nothing more than property to be used and, and then discarded by men? Well, this morning we're going to open up the door, the closet, for the very last time, and we're going to see is there a skeleton in God's closet, and, and unlike our closets where there are skeletons, there are things that we're embarrassed about, there are things that we hope never come to light, there are no skeletons in God's closet, there are none. I want you to repeat this with me, it's something that we've said throughout this three-part series. God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. We know that God is good in everything he does. And so when we look at that topic of hell and eternal punishment, we know that, that God is good. When, when we look at this subject of genocide and, and the destruction of people in the Bible, we know that God is is good and when we look at this view of women and and men and what does the Bible say about women we can know that God is good now this morning what I want us to do is is take a 10,000 foot view of the biblical picture of God's 
designed for women. God's distortion or the distortion that took place because of sin over women. And then how Jesus restores women to their proper place. And, and so as we take an overview look of Scripture and what it says about women, we're going to see God's design. We're going to discover how sin distorts. And we're going to discover how Jesus restores. Now let's first of all look at God's design. As we open up the very first page of the Bible, we discover this, this beautiful picture of, of the Creator God. And we discover that, that you and I aren't the product of evolutionary chance or, or some cosmic accident. We are part of God's creative design. Before God began to create anything, the Bible says there was nothing. And then God created the heavens and the earth. And as God moved through this creative process, we are told that God created plants. He created animals of every kind, the kind that fly, the kind that swim, the kind that crawl, the kind that run. But then on that very last day of creation, God created us. God created mankind. God did something unusual. God did something unique. We are told that he created this man and he created this woman in his very image. As we move through the creation story, we see over and over again this phrase, it is good, it is good, it is good. As God moved through creation, creating everything that we see and even the things that we can't see, God said it was good. But when he came to that point where he created mankind, he created man and woman, he said it is very good. Now as we look at God's creative design, we discover two important truths about men and women. First, we discover that men and women are equal. Now say that with me. Men and women are what? Equal. Men and women are equal. We need to understand that. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. By the way, this is one of those first places in Scripture where the Trinitarian view of God is exposed to us. Then it says this, they, meaning man and woman, will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. So the Bible says that, that God created both man and woman in his image. And we are told that he gives both of them mutual dominion, rule over creation. It doesn't say that he gave man rule over creation, which includes woman. It says that he gave man and woman rule over creation. Creation. Now this is important because it shows us that, that God didn't create man in his image and then create woman in the image of man, kind of a step down 
from God. No, God created both man and woman in his image. Have you ever heard someone use that expression? Boy, he is the spitting image of you. When it was talking about a child, a son or a daughter. That boy is your spitting image. That girl is your spitting image. You see, oftentimes when someone looks at us, it is obvious, it is apparent. Well, that's your daddy, that's your mama. Well, the Bible says that we were created in the image of God. We were created in the likeness of God, both men and women. Ladies, listen to me. You need to understand this morning that you were created in the image and the likeness of God. And your value is not dependent upon your outward appearance. Your value is not dependent upon your occupation, your marital status, or a host of other things. Your value is dependent upon one thing. You are an image bearer of the king. You were created as a model to show the world what God is like. But then in chapter 2, God reinforces this truth of equality. In chapter 2, we discover that, that God in his creative process created man first, and then he created woman. And he did that for a reason. He did that for a purpose, but as he created man, we are told that God created man from the dirt of the ground. And, and so when someone looks at you, man, and says, you're nothing but dirt, you can say, you're right. But women, women aren't dirt. Women were created from the rib of man. Now, why is that important for us? in this creative process as we try to understand the picture of what God is showing us. Well, I think it's important because God did not take a, a bone from man's foot so that man would trample over and rule over woman. God didn't take a bone from man's head showing that woman is above, inferior to man. God took a rib from man underneath his arm, close to his heart, right there in the middle, to show that she is equal to man. We need to understand that. So from the very beginning, we see that men and women are equal. But we also see in this creative process that men and women are distinct. In chapter 1, verse 27, we are told that God created us male and female. In chapter 5, verse 2, he reminds us of this again. It's kind of as if God knows the future. And he wants to remind us that from the very beginning, God created us equal, yet distinct, yet different. He created us male and female. We are different, aren't we? We are different anatomically. We are different physiologically. We are different psychologically. We are different emotionally. Men and women are different. And though, though that difference may be more clearly seen in some men and women than others, I think all of us would agree that it doesn't take a scientist. It doesn't take a psychologist. 
It doesn't take a doctor to know we are different. All you have to do is live in the home with someone of the opposite sex, and you go, wow, we're different. God created us different, and praise God, amen? amen. Praise God for, for those distinctive differences that we have. They are wonderful differences. God did it for a purpose. Now listen to what it says in Genesis 2 as he goes into this in detail. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But, but still... There was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. I love this passage of creation because it shows how God created us with the need for one another. Man needs woman and woman needs man. God created us to complement one another. God created us with differences for a reason. And this is clearly seen in verse 18 when we are told that, that God would find a helper that is just right for Adam. Now in the Hebrew, that, that phrase is literally two words. And, and it's not saying that, that God was going to provide a servant for Adam. You know, some take that and say, well, you were just created to be my helper. Go fetch my slippers. Go fix me something to eat. Go wash them their dishes. And we have this idea that that's what that means, but that is not what the passage means here. That word helper, it is a word that, that some have translated completer. Now the interesting thing about that word helper is it is used to describe only four individuals in Scripture. Woman. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? This word that is used to describe woman is only used in other places in the Old Testament to describe the triune God. So understand, God is not your servant. God completes you, amen? God makes you better when you understand Him and when you know Him. And that's what the Bible is trying to tell us here. We need each other. We complement one another. God is saying a world without women would be incomplete. Can I get an amen? I heard a few men say that. <laughs> A world without women would be incomplete. 
But then it says that she is a helper just right for him. That phrase just right is the Hebrew word that literally means opposite. Seriously. What God said is this. I'm going to provide a helper that is opposite of you. And let me just say to you, if you're married, you go, I get it. Golly. I mean, and it seems like when we say opposites attract, it always happens, doesn't it? But what we need to understand is in many ways, every man is the opposite of every woman. And every woman is the opposite of every single man. Listen, the reason that we are different is because we are better together. Now, does that mean? Does that mean that a woman has to have a man to, to be complete or a man has to have a woman to be complete? No, it doesn't mean that because we see in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians that singleness is actually a gift. And we are told that, that if a person is able to be single, they are able to give themselves completely and totally to the kingdom of God. And so it's not saying in this marriage relationship that every woman has to be married or she's going to miss something or every man has to be married because he's going to miss something. But it is saying to us that men without women are incomplete. A church filled with men is never going to accomplish the Great Commission. A church filled with women is never going to accomplish a great, the Great Commission. We need one another and so God's design we are equal yet we are distinct and that's God's design but then as we move on into this creation story we see that sin enters the picture and sin distorts and corrupts God's design God created man and woman equal yet distinct and everything was going great and then Sin entered the picture, Satan entered the picture, and Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They break God's one rule, the one rule God gives, and everything begins to unravel. I made a mistake on the note sheet, so I want to start reading in verse 7, and then our, our screen will pick up in verse 8. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it says this, that at that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. This is talking about after they sinned. They disobeyed God. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid um, from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord call, God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, like God didn't know. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat like God didn't know? The man replied, it was a woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, "Why have you? what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, that's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly groveling in the dust as long as you live and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he will strike your head and you will strike his heel a, a picture of Jesus 
Then he said to the woman, listen, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Not that point. Don't get bitter. And in the pain, you will give birth. And then this is what I want you to hear. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, everything changed. It not only changed between them and God, it changed between each of them. It, it affected their relationship with one another. The first thing is, they felt shame. You see, they, they not only hid themselves from God, they sowed fig leaves to do what? To hide themselves from one another. As soon as they sinned, they felt shame. They were embarrassed and they started hiding and covering up from one another. There was no longer this freedom to open up and be honest, to be transparent. There was this fear, this mistrust, this covering up and, and holding back. And we need to understand that 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 has still affected the relationship between men and women today through sin, hasn't it? There's this fear of opening up and being transparent and sharing our, our deepest, darkest secrets and our hurts and our struggles and our problems because we're afraid if they really know me, will they still love me? Where did that come from? It it came from sin. But not only did they want to hide and cover up from one another, they blamed one another. Did you hear, Adam? The woman you gave me is the one who caused all this trouble. I mean, instead of accepting responsibility, what did he begin to do? He began to cast blame. And so sin entered the picture, and they were no longer transparent. They hid from one another. They covered up they were no longer accepting responsibility in their relationship they were casting blame on one another and some of you are going wow that's bad but it gets worse not only did they hide from one another and blame one another they started fighting for control in the relationship instead of this mutual cooperation to bring about the good of both, there was this desire to leverage control for their own good. Verse 16 says that Eve, because of your sin, will try to control you, Adam. And Adam, because of your sin, you will want to rule over Eve. In other words, because of sin, you will be a controlling wife and your husband will be a domineering jerk. Can I get a witness? No. Don't do it. Have you ever met anyone like that? Not that you're married to. I mean, have you ever seen that? I mean, relationships are filled with that. Wives that try to control and, and husbands that try to dominate, they're jerks. And then from this point on in human history, sin played out in the way men treated women and women treated and tried to manipulate men. And understand, this was never God's design. This was never God's plan. And as we read the Old Testament and we read some of these laws, 
what we need to understand is all of these laws were given for the protection of women in a society that was dominated and controlled by sinful men. And so when we read some of these things, don't think, man, God is treating women as second class. No. God is showing his people that you are not to treat women like the world treats women. To the point that when Jesus arrived on the scene, most people saw women as little more than property. There was a prayer that Jewish men would pray. It went like this. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Men would pray that. Lord, thank you that I'm not a dirty, unclean Gentile. Thank you I'm not a slave. And oh, dear Lord, thank you I'm not a woman. Men would pray that to the point that when Jesus came onto the scene, men could divorce their wives for any and every reason. To the point that when Jesus came on the scene, there was this Jewish rabbi named Eliezer who said that the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures, were better off burned than to be touched by a woman. That's the culture in which Jesus was born into. And yet when Jesus was born, he came to restore everything to its proper order. And that takes us to the third truth. Jesus restores. You see, the purpose of Jesus' coming was to restore everything that had been broken by sin, including our relationships and the relationships between men and women. The Apostle Paul, who has been accused of being a misogynist, said this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. It says, For you all are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all of you have been united with Christ in baptism. You have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This passage deals with, with the three divisions in the world, the, the racial division, the social division, and the sexual division. And what Paul is saying is that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, all of those divisions have been removed. We are no longer divided by race. We are no longer divided by social status. We are no longer divided by sex. Now, does that mean that the roles and the responsibilities that the Bible teaches that God gives to men and women are no longer relevant? Absolutely not. The Bible nowhere says that I'm going to change my word. That's part of the uniqueness and the distinctiveness of men and women. And it is all part of this order in which we now live. That doesn't change. But what changes is the way that we look at our roles. What changes is the way we look at our responsibilities. And what changes is the way that we treat one another. You see, husbands are called to love their wives. And husbands are called to lead their families. But do they do that as domineering jerks? 
No, they do that as servants who are willing to lay down their lives for their families. They do that as men who are willing to give up their desires, their wishes, for the good of their families. Everything changes because of Jesus. Does that mean that women no longer submit and follow the godly leadership of their husband? No, it doesn't mean that they no longer do that. What it does mean is now they do it with a different attitude. They do it with a different purpose. They do it recognizing that we are equals. We are in this together. We mutually come together to be the family that God calls us to be. That's God's design. And I'm here to tell you that there are some in our society today that want to take away any of the distinctiveness between men and women. And they are wrong. God created men. God created women. And though we are equal in our value and worth, we are distinctive, we are different, we always have been, we always will be. But what Jesus did is he came into the world and made right what sin made wrong. Sin brought this, this opportunity for transparency without shame. Sin corrupted that to the point that it can't happen. Jesus said it can happen again through me. Sin brought this blame game where, where we blame others for what's going wrong. You're the reason our marriage isn't good. You're the reason that, that work is going bad. And we blame and we blame and we blame. And, and because of Jesus, we no longer have to cast blame. We can accept responsibility and move forward. And because of sin, we want to control. Men want to control, women want to control. It's not one or the other, we both want to control. And through Jesus, we come to understand that, that leadership is not about control. Leadership is about protection. Leadership is about direction. And through Jesus, this desire to control and get our selfish way can be put to death. And we can live again in relationship with one another, men and women, the way God intended. You see, there are no skeletons in God's closet. Whatever the world may say those skeletons are. And for those of us who believe that the God of the Bible is the God of all creation, for those of us who believe that God's word is true and it's good and it's always providing God's best plan for us, we know that if we take the time to look and study and pray, we will discover that God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. So I've got a question to ask you. Have you discovered that? Do you know God is good? Do you 
trust him in all things? Have you come to that point in your life where you can do that? Well, I'm here to tell you that when you give your heart and life to him, when you surrender eternity to him, you can get to that point where you can surrender each and every day to him as well. Eternity is the big deal. Eternity is the tough one. And so have you surrendered eternity to him? Have you trusted Jesus to be your Savior, to be your Lord? Have you humbled yourself enough before him where you've acknowledged that you're not God, he is? You've disobeyed him, you've chosen your way instead of his way, and you've humbled yourself acknowledging that, asking his forgiveness, surrendering, submitting to his will, knowing that he's good all the time. Have you done that? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. So would you bow your head with me? Would you close your eyes with me? Would you head bowed with your eyes closed? If you're here and, and you've never done that, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, then I want to encourage you right here, right now to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I know I've sinned. I know I've disobeyed you. Right here, right now, I'm giving my life to you. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave to pay for my sins. I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my life. Take control. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Now, with your